You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Violet Sanctuary Spa, your online holistic spa at blogtalkradio.com with your spiritual consultant, Tia Johnson. Hello and welcome to the show. It's Friday. Yay! And I have here the most amazing guest ever, (laughs) Tara (laughs) Sophia Moore, and I'm so happy to have her here. Tara is a personal growth and women's leadership, well-being author and teacher. Her work focuses on helping individuals create more authentic, fulfilled lives, as well as helping women play bigger in their work and lives. With an MBA from Stanford University and her undergraduate degree in English literature from Yale, Tara takes a unique approach that blends inner work with practical skills training and weaves together both intellectual rigor and intuitive wisdom. Tara is the creator of the Global Playing Big Leadership Program for Women and author of the free 10 Rules for Brilliant Women workbook, which we will talk about today. She is also a poet and author of the Your Inner Names and the Real Life Poems for Wise Living. Tara is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and has been featured on the Today Show, BigThink.com, BeliefNet, CNN.com, USA Today, the International Business Times, O Magazine, Forbes, and numerous other media outlets. You can visit her website at www.taramohr.com. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So... Uh, the ten rules for for business women. I had to tell the uh, the listeners. I discovered uh, Tara through uh, Leonie Dawson Goddess Circle. I had other people who I discovered through the Goddess Circle come on the show. And, and basically, uh, what the Goddess Circle is, it's um, a group of women um, who uh, get together and um, we learn business um, ethics and material and other stuff like that. But also, Leonie recommends other uh, women's work, women who are successful and they, they found their niche and other things like that. So that's how I discovered our guest today. So uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I said that's great. I'm a big fan of hers as well. So. Oh, yeah, it's, it's lovely. I just yeah. adore her, her energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can can you um, tell the listeners how, how you came up with the 10 rules for brilliant women? Yeah, I had been... Working as a coach, I had started coaching women, and so I was regularly sitting down with my clients who were very talented women from a whole range of different fields. Mm -hmm. And what I found again and again was that, excuse me, I have a little bit of a cough today. They were so brilliant, I could really see their brilliance, but they could not see their own brilliance. Mm -hmm. And I thought about what I really wanted them to know about themselves and sat down and wrote the 10 rules. That's how it came about. <coughs> Sorry, we might have a little challenge with this this morning. It hasn't been too bad, but I might have, I might have okay. woken up with it worse. 
<laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so that's where the ten rolls came from, and they were originally published at Huffington Post, hmm. and then had really gone viral and spread all around the world. Lovely, I love that, and I, I was going over again the ten rules for it's it's a, a workbook that can be downloaded from her website, and um. Yeah, I was going over it again, and and when you were saying you saw something in the women that they weren't quite picking up, I feel like that happens so often. I I talk to my friends and I hear them; they just get so passionate about certain things, but then they they don't see the dream or or they or chatter gets in into their you know their minds and and they start to self doubt. Yes, that's one of the things that I work with women a lot around now is. The voice of self-doubt and the inner critic. And Mm -hmm. I believe it's so important that all women come to understand that we all have an inner critic because usually, you know, we're the only ones hearing the crazy things that (laughs) our inner critic is saying to us in our heads. So we think that we're alone in that and we're not. And and I actually Mm -hmm. believe that having an inner critic is not uh, pathological or abnormal in any way that mm-hmm. it's really the part of us that is afraid of uh, taking any possible risks or coming to any criticism or failure. Um, that part, when it gets scared, when we're stretching out of our comfort zone or when we're putting ourselves out there, it tries to get us to go back into the comfort zone. And one mm-hmm. of the ways it does that is by beating us up, by saying, you know, you're not ready for that, you're not good enough, you're whatever, in in the hope that then we will stop stretching. So Mm. I think as long as you're trying to play bigger and as long as you're sharing your authentic voice in the world, your inner critic is going to come up. Um, So it's not something that we actually try and get rid of. It's just something to manage. And so in the ten rules, one of the rules, rule number three, is to go for the gas. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is do the things that actually make you gasp, that get your adrenaline flowing, and know that your inner critic is going to come up when you do that, and and really make a practice of hearing your inner critic's voice, just listening to it, but not taking direction from it. Right. Right. That's very powerful. And um, the one of the um, the uh, words you have here is active progress. It's on the, the first page of the the workbook, and I thought to myself, oh, man, that, that really ties in because you're going to keep going. If you listen to the inner critic, it's going to be more of a passive, like, okay, you stop, start, stop, start. But if you, you know, you acknowledge it and say, okay, sure, I can't do it, whatever, inner critic, <laughs> you know, and do it anyway, that is an active, you know, uh, process going on there. And I think that's just so cool because you're, you're not totally ignoring it. On together, but I think is a bit worse because then it's one of those things where you're just pushing a lot to the side. You get the face, like you said, take the, the gas, like, okay, this is something big, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's one of my models. I'm going to just do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I also think one of the most powerful things we can say to our inner critics is, thank you so much for your input, but I've got this one covered. <laughs> Right. It's really almost like a, an acknowledgement and a reassuring of that scared, critical part of us that it's okay, you know, I know you're just trying to protect me and I, I, I'm going to be okay on this one. We're, we're going to be okay. I'm not going to you know, do anything here that we can't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of playing the mature adult in relationship to that scared part of ourselves 
Um, and that actually is much more effective than arguing with our inner critic or trying mm-hmm. to deny it or saying, screw you. Like, that mm-hmm. just doesn't really work. Right, yes. I think it's, it's also breaking the, the mold because especially when we're surrounded by people who didn't necessarily live their dreams or they had that same fear, and we're breaking the mold. It's like another layer we have to get through. That's that's how I, I feel. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true because a lot of times our inner critic is just an internalized version of outer critics that we've had mm-hmm. to deal with, you know, and we've taken mm-hmm. their voices and Sometimes those are individual outer critics, like a particular teacher or someone in our Mm -hmm. family. Sometimes they can also be whole cultural messages. Like maybe Mm -hmm. there was a message in their culture, like do not stand out, or, you know, um, it's greedy to want to be financially successful or whatever. Mm -hmm. There can be be kind of critical voices that we pick up from cultures or or organizations that we're part of that then become internalized as inner critics. Um, and then it, it's up to us to, to figure out how to stop listening to those voices. Right. So, so true. So for the the first uh, rule, make a pact. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, yeah, this makes so much sense. No one no one else is going to build the life you want. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're the CEO of, of your life. So mm. it just, I just love that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. I think that's. That's rule number one because I really think it is the foundation mm-hmm. to get back on our own sides and going for our dreams. And that doesn't necessarily even look like any particular action at the beginning. I, I really believe that's an inner movement. It's a change of attitude that happens on the inside. And um, for me... Before I moved into the work that I'm doing now, I had another career that I call my B-plus, you know, period of my B-plus life. I call it that because it felt like everything was, you know, everything was fine. Like, I'd give it a B-plus, you know. But I mm-hmm. but I knew that I really wasn't uh, going for my dreams. I wasn't, do, it was a total fear-based cop-out. I was working in a large foundation and I was overseeing grant making, grant making to nonprofits. So it was good for the world. It wasn't soulless, but mm-hmm. it was not the kind of creative thing I wanted to do. And I, and as time went on, the pain of that, you know, really grew because our souls want to express themselves. So when we're not doing it, you know, we either turn to things to cope, like various, you know, addictions or distractions or whatever, or we just mm-hmm. the pain in the the angst of it gets worse and worse. And and that was happening for me. And one night I was up in the middle of the night, you know, sitting in my living room, um, thinking about all of this and finally felt that inner shift where I could say to myself, okay, Tara, like I have no idea how we could make this transition to a totally different career. I don't even really know what the career, you know, we really want is, what I really want is. Mm. But I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. And it sounds kind of counter, like it sounds kind of silly, like, well, how else could we be? But the truth is most of us are not saying to ourselves, you know, we're not putting our hand on our heart and saying, okay, honey, whatever dreams are in there, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm going to fight for you. 
We're not mm-hmm. doing that. We're saying we're playing the skeptic in relationship to the dreams. We're standing across from them saying, Hmm, is that really realistic? How are you gonna pan out? How's that gonna you know, how the hell oh that exactly. could I really So that making a pact is like just being able to say to yourself, you know, even with all the questions that are still unanswered and, and it might not work out, who knows, right? But I've got your back. Saying that to your own dreams, your heart, your soul. Um, and that is such a powerful shift. And I think once you make that shift, even if it takes a long time for the external stuff to be realized, you feel better from day one because you know, you're you've stepped onto the right path and you're you're going for it in whatever way you can. Oh yeah, I I love that story, and I, I like what you said. You know, just put your hand over your heart and just say, you know. Some people really have to think, okay, how is it going to get done? Like you said, how is it going to pan out? And you don't see a lot of people saying, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. And what, what I like to tell people is to um, to read about successful people. Some of them went broke. Some of them, you know, they just they had a vision. They kept going and kept going and kept going because they knew that something, <laughs> you know, eventually would happen. And it's, it really is just breaking the mold, I feel like, again, you know, and even if someone is working somewhere where it could be good, like you said, B plus, good. And I, I have some, some friends who, and I say, you know, I'm comfortable, and I can see that there's something in them that just wants to just spark and, you know, fly away, so to speak. But, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where some people have to see that pan out, and I would like for them to let their, and, and that that goes with the um, number two rule, imagine, imagine it, let their imagination soar. This, because you never know where you may end up. It may be something even much better than originally yes. planned. Yes. Yeah, and I, I just want to say one more thing about that. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that, you know, how, how is it going to pan out? I really, I believe thinking about the how and all the practical things and, you know, assessing is this realistic and is it viable. I think all of that is super important and it, you know, it's so important to keep both of our feet grounded in the real world. Mm-hmm. But I think that the how phase of bringing any dream to life comes later in the process. Mm-hmm. And that if that's really like stage two. And stage one is what I call dating the dream. Mm-hmm. And it's really like a courtship. It's because your dream, you know, all of us, if we're really going for our real dreams, they're not totally things that we made up. They're kind of things that came to us, right? Like our dreams pick us more than we pick our dreams, I believe. Our calling for what we want to bring into the world pick us more than we pick them. So in that sense, the dream or the calling really has its own being or life separate from your ego self. And mm-hmm. you you are in some kind of relationship with it always. So in, how do you want to be in the beginning of that relationship? How do you start a relationship if you want it to grow into a strong, healthy, powerful relationship? And you can think about dating as a metaphor. So if you wanted to, you know, meet your future partner's soulmate, and if you were going to think about, well, what could I do on a first date? that would be most likely to lay a strong foundation for this relationship, Mm -hmm. well, would you go to the first date and would you say, hmm, I don't know, 
you know, I don't know if this is, could really work out. Like, <laughs> yeah. do say, you know, like, is this realistic? Am I really good enough for you? Would you say, hmm, you know, I, I, I like you, but 20 years out, I'm just not seeing how this is going to work because my parents believe in this and your parents believe in that. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't do any of that, right? You would just start cultivating relationships. You would smile at the person. Mm-hmm. You would be your most charming self. You'd be warm. You'd ask them a lot of questions about themselves, and you'd listen and you'd learn. So I believe in stage one, we need to do the exact same thing with our dreams and our callings. We need to date them. We need to court them, which means just spend time with the idea. Ask Mm -hmm. questions and see what the dream has to answer, right? Do all of that. Then when you have a firm and positive foundation of relationship and you know this dream and calling and you've spent lovely times together, right, you're bonded, that's then the time to start looking at the how. Because looking at the how is tough, and you need to do that with a good foundation, a positive, loving foundation. Um, And if it happens too early without that, I think we just end up kind of hacking ourselves apart and hacking the dreams apart, thinking about all those how questions. Right. It's like you're living in a moment with the the person you're dating and the dream and all those good feelings from rushing in, and you don't filter them, (laughs) in a sense. Say that again, I didn't get it. Oh, I was saying uh, it, it's like you're living in the moment when, when you're dating, everything you was mentioned, everything you were mentioning, it's like you live in the moment yeah. and yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, so just some time to spend together to really build your connection to that dream before you go assessing, is it realistic, is it viable, how am I going to make it work, all that practical stuff. Mm-hmm. I, like, I just love yeah. that. And for the next one, imagine it, and I literally wrote this, let your imagination loose. I love that. I think that's so so key. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really believe that we have to, uh, well, not that we have to, that it's very helpful if we can imagine what we're going for, if we can see it, um, that that is so critical in helping us bring it into being. And, um, typically, I find brilliant women really have shrunk down their dreams. Mm. So when I'm working with women, what we'll often do is I'll say, okay, you know, what's your wildest dream for your career? And, you know, they'll write that down. And maybe, you know, they'll say, oh, I want to, uh, run my own business and be able to spend time with my kids and just do work that I feel like I'm passionate about. So, mm-hmm. okay, now imagine that there's a dial, like a volume dial, and you can turn the volume up, you can turn the dial up and make this dream 25% more delicious, wonderful, outrageous to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, maybe then I also have a book deal and um, I have an amazing office and the garden, whatever, they'll add a few things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's turn it up again. And we'll actually do this uh, usually four times. And it's really only on round four that we get to the real vision for their life because we've all shrunk it down so much. So I recommend that to anyone that's, you know, looking to develop a vision, just do a bunch of versions of it and try and make each next version more true to you, more delicious, 
And it's not about making it bigger, better in the world's eyes. It's not like going for, well, if I'm making $1 million in version one, I'm never going to make $2 million, right? Or, you know, it's not on the world's terms, but really think about for you. What would for you make that vision more delicious, more fulfilling, more exciting? And do that a few times to get to your real vision. We really want to create the most um, unconditioned by society and expansive vision possible. Right, and it feels believable as well because I think about some of the the uh, the get rich quick. Oh, you make loads of money in no time. You won't even believe it. It will rock your socks, and you're thinking, okay. But then if yeah. they do it your way, it's like, okay. So now what? And now what? And now what? Yeah, <laughs> like and, that. And you know what's interesting is I find when women do this, they never put anything unrealistic in there, like. Mm-hmm. But they always think that their visions are wildly unrealistic. So, you know, to give you an example, I remember one time I was coaching um, a client, and she loved um, she loved dance, and she wasn't doing very much dance in her life. And so when we were doing the vision, you know, maybe in round two or something like that, she said, oh, and I'm dancing, you know, I'm dancing every week or something like that. And then in round three, she was like, I'm dancing three times a week. Wow, you know, that would be amazing if I could fit that in. And in round four, she's like, I'm teaching the dance class. And she's like, Whoa. Do you think I could really do that? And I'm like, yeah, of course. What are you talking about? So, And I think again and again, it's like, you know, whatever we – the things that we really want when we get out of the world's definitions of I need to own an empire and an island and a whatever, the things that we really want are, are, are much more attainable, but we can come up – you know, we have our theories about why they aren't attainable. But I never see anybody, you know, nobody says in round four, I need my own island with a castle on it and I need my own. You know, they don't say things like that. And they say things that are actually, that they can really get to. Nice. Yeah. They're really, really helps. I know it helps for me, you know, sometimes because you have to feel it. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know we talked about number three, you know, grass and or, or gas and and. Yes. Do it anyway, but what I really feel like is that you talked about it that that risk taking your risk tank it really pumps you up, and then I feel like after that you could see so much that you accomplish that you feel like you you could just do it even more <laughs> yes it's that is really true, you know when we do things that we think we're not ready for. And then we find out that we did just fine. We yeah. start to go, oh, you know, maybe that voice that says, "What I, I'm not ready for this, that, and the other," is, you know, doesn't really um, know what it's talking about. Huh? You know, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So I think that's absolutely true, and I know I've I've found that in my life for sure. And I can't remember who said it. I'm just going to paraphrase. Uh, As a gentleman, he said, "I never." started anything I wasn't fully prepared for. I can't remember. Someone told me that quote. And I feel like that's true. Sometimes we we take that risk. Or I like to think of it like a calculated risk. Like, you know, we kind of know (laughs) what we're getting ourselves into, but then we just let it flourish, so to speak. That's really cool. Meaning he he said he never did anything that he was fully prepared for. He was always a little bit unprepared. Yes. There was always an element that he wasn't, yeah, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we're, we're, and especially when we get to rule number six, we, that's exactly what that one is all about. Awesome. So uh, the next one is get a thick skin. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like need it. One, 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. A lot of women are like, now, can we have a whole course on that one? Or like, they just know that's the one they need more. Yeah, you know, what that rule is all about is that if you're a brilliant woman, you are going to be saying something significant. You're going to be doing something significant, right? And, you know, when I say brilliant women, I, I didn't say this up front, so I'll say it now. I don't mean, of course, you know, the definition we all learned in school of genius, brilliant, of you know, what you're scoring on a math test. I mean, you have your particular gifts and talents to share in the mm-hmm. world. You know, all all your women listeners, all your women in the goddess circle, all of that, brilliant women like that. Okay, so if you're a brilliant woman, you're going to be doing things that are significant, saying things that are significant, shaking up the status quo, especially since we live, you know, we live in a still patriarchal society. We mm-hmm. live with all the legacies of that. So, if you're a brilliant woman, you're going to be saying some things that shake up, you know, the, the belief systems of our culture or the authorities of our culture. Some people are going to like you. Some people aren't going to like you. Some people oh, yeah. are going to get what you're saying. Some people mm-hmm. are going to have no idea what you're saying because you're ahead of your time, but they're mm-hmm. not going to know that that's why they don't like it. They're going to just, you know, come at you with other negative feedback. Mm-hmm. There's going to be criticism and praise. And this is really tough for women because we, so many of us, you know, we're relationship-oriented, we're harmony-oriented, we want everyone to feel good about what we're saying, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think it's so important for brilliant women to get, it's like, if 50% of an audience liked your talk and 50% didn't, or if, you know, 50% liked your ebook and 50% didn't, or whatever, that doesn't mean necessarily that you should do something to improve the talk or the ebook, right? Mm-hmm. That just means that... There are your people who are resonating, and there are the people who aren't. And I, I just think the more significant what you're doing is, the more you get that split in the reaction. Mm-hmm. And um, that we need to start seeing criticism and praise as just par for the course and not worry about either one too much. And a really great exercise that I recommend for, for everybody to do um, around this rule is to go onto Amazon.com and look up one of your favorite authors, um, a, a female writer who you really admire. It could be fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Mm-hmm. And read a bunch of the five-star reviews of her book. And then read a bunch of the zero-star reviews of her book. And... Doing that really helps us see that even someone that we know their work is great, right, they're one of mm-hmm. our favorite authors, is going to always have the group of the zero-star reviews and the group of the five-star reviews. And every time I do this, it just cracks me up because it's so, you can really see, you know, one person will be like, the characters were extraordinarily well-developed and I fell in love with every one. And then someone else will be like, these characters were so flat and unrealistic, I couldn't give a shit about, you know, one thing or And there's so many of those, you know, exactly opposite opinions. Mm. So it's just that exercise is a great way of training ourselves to see there's always going to be that polarity. And I also, I often also quote Lady Gaga here because she talks about how what she's really looking for when she puts out a new song mm-hmm. is to see a strong positive reaction and a strong negative reaction. Because then she knows she really created something bold and she hit a nerve that it was important. Like, she hit something alive in the culture. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because last night, um, it's it's funny how, how things come together. 
I was on Facebook and my one of my new feed uh <laughs> updates showed a business and on on the uh the street uh they have the, the chalkboard sign they write the soup of the day deal something like that. So on the little chalkboard sign <laughs> the owner wrote, Come and enjoy the worst soup ever that one person on Yelp thought was this terrible. It was just so funny. I'm thinking you know, <laughs> it's it's so true because, you know, one yeah. person can have you know, he could have had a cold that day, you know, or or yeah. something, and it was just so funny, but they celebrated that, and I thought that was yeah. really cool. <laughs> and then, you know, another side of this that's really equally important is that praise can also be um, a problem. <laughs> praise mm-hmm. can also be a problem, and there's some really interesting re- recent new research on praise it essentially shows that when you praise children on their innate abilities, like when you say, wow, you know, you're such a good writer, or wow, you're good at math, or something like that after they do a writing task or a math task, mm-hmm. the kids become more afraid, they become afraid to do a next more challenging task in that same area because they don't mm. want to not live up to the praise they just got. <laughs> mm, that makes sense, so, yeah. Yeah, right? So we can all relate to this, where maybe there's something we were always told we were good at, and did you find that instead of feeling more confident and free with that thing, you kind of got a little bit stressy and, and phobic about, you know, doing it. So with Get a Fixed Skin, it's, it's also as important, you know, to get a fixed skin to praise and not be so sensitive to that, not really take it on, not um, do things in order to get praise. You know, it's, it's just as destructive to be praised attached and praise-seeking as it is to be um, avoiding criticism. So, so true. I like this, the next rule, because <laughs> I remember reading a book, oh, I can't, um, oh, it was by Kamora Kalor- K- uh, Lee Simmons, um, I think Glamorosity, and she talked a little bit about this, too. And rule number five is be an arrogant idiot, and I associated that yes. with being confident. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Exactly. So, you know, that rule, of course, we really don't need more arrogant idiots in the world. <laughs> but we certainly have plenty of those. They're just, yeah, okay. <laughs> I won't go more down that path. But, um, uh, you know, this is really about for, for what, what drove me crazy when I was in business school and working in organizations that I just saw again and again was that there were these really confident guys who were, in fact, overconfident. You know, they were too confident for um, about things that, about ideas and proposals they were making that weren't really backed up, you know. So they would go into a meeting and be like, I had an idea that we should start a new business division in this area because blah, 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 you know, and or we should do, you know, a multi-million dollar initiative in this area. And I saw that even if they had only thought about the idea for two days, or, you know, they have one fact that's supporting the thought that they should do the idea. They would come in and get into action around it, get lots of resources mobilized behind it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things would totally fail, but sometimes they wouldn't fail. And they were getting the recognition as being the visionaries, you know, in the industry that they're in and they're doing all these significant things. Meanwhile, all these brilliant women have ideas that cross their mind. You know, and they feel like, well, I would have to research that, you know, 
for three years before I propose it. Or if I'm not sure that that's a good idea, there's no way I could, you know, put it forward. So it's, again, about risk-taking and how much preparation do you really need. So for brilliant women, of course, we don't really want you to become an arrogant idiot, but I feel like I can safely say to brilliant women, be an arrogant idiot, because I know they're never going to turn into arrogant idiots. They're way too (laughs) humble and ethical to do that. But what I would love for the world's sake is for them to move more in the arrogant idiot direction and get more comfortable proposing ideas before they're fully checked out or fully formed, um, you know, putting forth bold visions, even if they're not sure that they're going to work out, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, I I really think that is a a key part, you know, because it's, it's just like, you know, you, you feel it in you. So you take that initiative, step forward, be a bit bold, and all that other good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, exactly, yeah. And number six, question question the voice that says, I'm not ready yet. Oh, man, I yeah. can tell you, <laughs> this has come across <laughs> my mind so many times. I remember when I first started my business, and uh, I work. My mom and I, we work at the same uh, naval facility, and we were in a bathroom. And I said, what if I get discovered? I was so afraid. <laughs> like, I'm not going to I'm ready. What am I going to do? That was like a year ago now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm not ready yet is like, I think it's a very, it's a very sophisticated inner critic voice in that, you know, for those of us who have done a lot of personal growth work on ourselves and we're into being in tune, you know, with ourselves mm-hmm. and we're listening to the Sanctuary Spa radio show, right, all that, it, it can feel like a really solid, good excuse. Like, oh, I'm just aware that it is not the right time. I am not ready yet, but I will be ready. And when I feel ready, I will, you know, mm-hmm. it can sort of disguise itself in good personal growth costumes. But often it's really just the same old fear, same old feeling like we're not worth it, like we don't really deserve to have a seat at the table until we get another degree or until we get more experience. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that brilliant women just are horrible, 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 horrible at assessing how ready they are for things. Yeah. <laughs> horrible. We have no effing clue, you know, like mm-hmm. no yeah. clue. And <laughs> And uh, I found this with myself, and it's one of the reasons um, I really like having other people on my team and helping me with my business because they will put me in positions that I never would have put myself in. Like, And, you know, for example, the person who helped me with things in the media, you know, one day she just emailed me and said, okay, you're booked on the Today Show on this and this date. And I'm like, I didn't give you permission to pitch the Today Show. I'm not ready for that, you know. I, I have to hone my, yeah, I have to hone my message for at least another year, and I have to, you know, polish my talking points. And um, I haven't done enough local TV in order to do national TV, and you know, and and yet, thank God that she just didn't talk to me about it and went ahead and did it because um, then it, you know, it, it was a little harder for me to talk myself out of it then and I um and I felt you know the whole time I was preparing for that and first time I went on the Today Show I felt simultaneously hearing that voice you're not ready you're not ready and knowing okay that voice doesn't tell the truth so I'm just gonna hear it but not take direction from it 
So awesome. I just really encourage all brilliant women, do not just do not try and assess what you're ready for. I just think take that whole question out of the equation and focus on your dreams and your desires instead and do mm-hmm. what, let that guide you, not some estimation of what you're ready for. Don't let that guide you. You hear that, listeners? So you're always ready. Even when you're not, you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the next row, I, I literally put stars next to it because, <laughs> you, you know, it, number seven is don't wait for your Oscar. And it's so funny because when I was younger, I even do this now as as a like a, to be my own cheerleader. I stand in front of the mirror and I just say, Tia, you're pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, you. you got it going on. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I think that, um, you know, brilliant women, we tend to be really good um, worker bees. Mm-hmm. Like, we do our work, you know, and we consistently work, do our blog or work at our jobs or, you know, whatever it may be. And we can fall into thinking that if we just keep doing good work, eventually somebody's going to come by and be like, I see your amazing work and, you know, I, 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 I discover you and I'm going to put you here and there, <laughs> you know, waiting for someone to do that. And that doesn't really happen. What's interesting is I do think we get discovered. I do think that we people can come along and say, wow, you know, and now I'm going to connect you with this opportunity or that opportunity. But that only happens after we've already really started sharing our voice very boldly mm-hmm. and putting ourselves out there. So meaning, let's say you're working inside an organization and you're just doing your role, you know, really well to the T and fulfilling your job description with great excellence and waiting for someone to notice that and give you the promotion. That's probably not going to happen. But what might happen is if you um, set up a meeting with some executives in the company and say, I want to tell you some of my observations and some of my ideas about where the company could be going over the next 20 years, or if you take on a special project that has high visibility, or if you do something way outside your job description that's really valuable to the company, right? It's, It's really starting to share your voice and your gifts boldly, not waiting for somebody to come and anoint you and give you permission to do that, but stepping into leadership, then you get you start getting that um, that kind of feeling of being discovered um, and and getting hooked up with the next greater set of opportunities. Yeah, that's that's so true, and I just I really think that's so important because I, I think of it as. When when you, you you know you say God I would love for this to happen but then you don't do anything and then you expect something to you know it's just like you have to put some kind of effort into it and all the other stuff and it's good to to do your work but if you just do it and you know look for praise you'll be waiting a long time <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and it's hard for women because you know we've also been so conditioned that the worst possible thing we can do is self promote. Um, and yet we have to self-promote in order to get what we want. So that's a tricky one for a lot of women. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like the the next one, uh, um, filter advice, and actually a a listener from the chat room had a question in regards to this, and that was so cool. I said, oh, you know, you're ahead of the game. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, she actually it was, uh, let's see here, she wrote about having dreams and dreams that she entrusted um, her friends with when she was talking about uh, her, her goals and aspirations. And then some of her friends stole some of the dreams. And I felt like this is where the filter advice came in, and that's number eight. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you got to be careful who, like the, the advice you are receiving from people. Because I wrote here, and I talked about it in one of my, my blogs, there are, or actually in, in my upcoming book, there are some people who want you to succeed. There are some people who want you to succeed but not surpass them. And then there are others that just don't want you to go anywhere. That's what I feel. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, there's so many different pieces to address in there, but just to, just to start with in terms of um, this, this particular woman's situation, um, I mean, the first thing I would say is a dream can't really be stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be copied. Mm-hmm. But it actually can't be taken from her. I mean, if you literally think about it, she still has her dream. And she's mm-hmm. still free to work on it in whatever way she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing I would say about that is what is the, in terms of her own soul's curriculum, her spiritual growth, what is the lesson there? You know, it could be a lesson about who she's choosing to surround herself with. Mm -hmm. It could be a lesson about compassion. It could be um, a lesson about learning how to let go of one dream and create a new one for herself. You know, who knows? But whatever it is, it's it's in her life because it can actually give her that experience, can give her Mm -hmm. a great gift. And, you know, I found for me... um, especially as my work has become more successful, I've had a lot of really painful experiences of copying. And mm-hmm. um, everything from I've had um, somebody actually um, break the law and copy all of the code from my website and create oh, a website that looked exact, you know, with their own text, but the custom code and create their own website for their business that looked exactly like mine. Uh, and then, you know, had to take it down right away once we realized that, you know, once they realized that was illegal and we knew about it. Um, I've had, I, I, you know, someone else just sent me a, some other women's blog post where a person had taken a poem of mine and just taken each line from it and added her own, like, she basically constructed a blog post out of my poem and then adding in other things to it, never mentioning my name, never crediting me. You know, wow. so there's been a number of things like that, and it's always so stunning to me, too, because, you know, it's not like I'm in some soulless field. I mean, the people who are doing this are, you know, running goddess, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> retreats or whatever. Um, and I, you know, my practice is to, first of all, always try and give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, always mm-hmm. assume they didn't know, they aren't familiar with copyright, they forgot, you know, first of all, just always start there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to always, if I decide to contact them about it, to write an email that I would feel proud of, you know, if this email was on the front page <laughs> of yeah. a newspaper, I would feel it is aligned with the compassionate, sane, calm person I want to be. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just try to find a place of compassion that 
if they were aware of what they were doing, you know, wow, what is it what is it like to feel like what you have to offer through your original work is not enough and that you have to go outside of that and use what others are creating in order to get what you want. You know, that's that's actually a place that doesn't need um anger or punishment, in my opinion, it needs a lot of compassion and healing, and that person needs help, you know, returning to their own, returning to a knowledge that they have what they need inside. Mm. So that's what I would say on that. And on filter advice, you know, um, that really is about, for me, that brilliant women, we really love to gather input and advice from other people. We love to, you know, read those success stories, whatever it may be. We right. love to have mentors that we consult. And sometimes we can do that um, at the expense of really trusting our own inner guidance or without the tools to know how to throw some advice out and keep some in. Because, again, you know, going back to that fixed skin conversation, you're doing something innovative. A lot of the people you're going to meet with or the mentors you're going to talk to or whatever, they're going to have no idea what the hell you're talking about. They're not going to get it. Right. Be ahead of the time, right? So mm-hmm. if you follow their advice, which is often going to be some form of go back into the box or go back into the status quo path, like that's, that's not necessarily right. So it's really about filtering the advice, being able to say, is this advice helpful to me, truly? Or not. And if it doesn't feel helpful, you know, and if it doesn't feel resonant, if it doesn't, um, you know, to to be willing to chuck it or to just experiment. You know, I think we also forget to just follow that person's advice for, you know, a few weeks and see if it actually works out or is helpful or not, you know, and and test it out instead of following it wholesale. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like that, the whole test it out, because, yeah, sometimes it's... um. It is one of those things where they don't know, you know, what you're talking about fully, and I feel like that's how it is with dreams as well. Even if someone did take, they don't have your same outlook on it, so they won't be able to fully understand. So I, I really like that, and she did. She wrote thank you. So. Oh. <laughs> I went yeah. like sending hugs and kisses through the phone. One, 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 one. There you go. <laughs> Lots of love. <laughs> I like uh, number nine because my mom is always telling me this because she sees me writing and stuff like that, recover and restore. I forget to do this. <laughs> <It's> anything <laughs> on this list I forget to do, it's recover uh, and restore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's especially important if we're following all these other rules, you know, because if you're going for the gas in your life, if you're doing things that bring that criticism, right? If you're hitting the nerve, if you're mm-hmm. being an arrogant idiot, if you're questioning the voice that says you're not ready yet, and that's a lot of stretching kind of energy. And so we can't do that 24-7. We will break mm-hmm. this down, you know. We will we will scare ourselves back into the, you know, just crawl into the coverage for the next five years if we don't mm-hmm. balance it with the things that really feel you know, just the opposite way, the things that feel cozy and super safe and um, restorative, whatever those might be for you. So I really see it like um, when it comes to risk-taking and stretching ourselves, like you have a tank and the tank um, gets depleted as we do things that really take us out of our comfort zone. 
you know, and do things that make the adrenaline flow. And then we have to do the things that fill the tank back up. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me that can just be, you know, day at home watching the reality show marathon or it could be time in nature or it could be um, just a period where I don't do things that are super out of my comfort zone and kind of gear up to do them again, all that good stuff. Yeah, I yeah I highly encourage that because there was a time, was it last year, I believe? I think it was last year, maybe. I don't know, anyway, I was doing too much. I got so overwhelmed. I convinced my friend to go to Mexico with me for the weekend. <laughs> I said, Good oh, for my you. God. And I said, I need, I need this right now. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and it sure. shouldn't, it, I mean, it's it's fun, but it shouldn't get that extreme where it's just like I have to stop what I'm doing and leave, <laughs> you know. So take those, you know, those increments of, you know, rest and, and, and restore or recovery. So yeah. definitely yeah. <laughs> do that. And number 10, let other women know they are brilliant. This is so, 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 so key because it's really a reflection of yourself. And I talk about this before I, I came across um, number 10. I, I'm, I'm writing an, an e-book, and I think it's number 6 in part 3, and it's about goddesses, and I say uh, – how to encourage other goddesses. And I started thinking, oh, this is amazing. This is so mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, it's really important. You know, um, there's some really interesting research on, academic research on how women and men in, uh, internalize feedback differently. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they find is that when women get reviews at work, women's estimation of themselves changes to pretty much match the average of whatever other people's feedback was about them. Mm. And men, actually, their estimation of themselves doesn't really change so much based on what other people say. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So we know that, you know, and I think all of us anecdotally in our own lives, you know, we know that. We know how our the way we feel about ourselves has been so affected by what other people show us, you know, either positive or negative in how in how they, what they tell us about ourselves, which can happen explicitly, you know, what they actually say, you are this, you are that, or just how they treat us tells us mm-hmm. something about ourselves. So we can all be really powerful in letting other women know that they're brilliant and to really be specific about that, you know, to tell the women in your life about the gifts that you see in them, the particular gifts. Um, So to not just say, you know, you're the best, but to say, you know, wow, like the way that you brought humor into that tense situation or the way you make everyone feel at home or the way you're so articulate, you know, let them know what their gifts are. it really it really um will make a difference in how they see themselves. And I know for me, you know, there's there's no way I would be doing what I was doing if I hadn't had the supportive people in my life who really made me feel like I had something to give. That's just been so critical to my journey. Sure. And it's it's so interesting because you never know whose life you you're gonna touch just by yeah. Being- compliment or letting them know uh, exactly, you know, how beneficial their work is or talking to them or, like you said, you know, um, their personality and stuff like that. It's, you just you never know. It could be that 
that one person was, I don't know, getting ready to, to quit. Like, you know what, I had it. This is ridiculous. No one is giving me my Oscar. I'm breaking my back here. And then someone comes and says, you know what, I like what you did last week. It helped me so much and yada, yada, yada. And they're thinking, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and I find that, like, life is really funny the way, I mean, just, you know, even being, like, it's very funny the way my inbox works because it's just like God is sometimes, you know, just laughing with me. Like, I'll get one email that's just like, um, you know, it'll be so specific, like how I'll get those things, you know, I'll get one email that's like, I am a, you know, um, 60-year-old divorcee and I'm really annoyed how you only feature, you know, younger people on your blog or, you know, she'll have some complaint about feeling, le- you know, something left out. And then right after that, I'll get an email that's like, hi, I am a 65-year-old divorcee and your posts have really helped me, you know, recover from my divorce and I just want to <laughs> let you know I'm making a different, you know, a different person. So it's very interesting how that works, you know. And it really is because, <clears throat> you know, it's just like I, I learned this lesson a very long time ago. Oh, wow, long time ago. When I was in college, it was almost eight years ago now. Wow. <laughs> I feel old. Wow, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I was playing um, pool, and I, I forget how it started, but the the guy said, you can't be friends with everybody. And I was thinking, wait, what? What do you mean I can't be friends? What do you mean I can't, mm, you know, yeah. get along with everyone? What's wrong with you? But that was so true. Those simple words made so much sense, and that's what your your two emails just reminded me. You know, it's the same message, but... One person like ah, yeah. and another person like this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So awesome. Oh, we have eight minutes left. Let's see, we get to this caller really quickly from a four eight four area code. Hi. Hello. How Hi are there. you? I am good. Um, this is the first time I found your show. Oh well, welcome. Well, today we Thanks. have uh. Tara Sophia Moore, I love that name by the way, and uh, we are talking about the ten brilliant, uh, ten rules for brilliant women. And uh, I don't know if you heard the uh, beginning of the show, but we just covered a few rules. For example, uh, don't wait for praise; basically, praise yourself. Um, taking a few mm-hmm. risks, other things like that. Okay, yeah, I did it. I just kind of tuned in at the last minute and found your show. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure, you know, um, if you, you could assist me or give me any kind of guidance or, or heads up of, you know, how to handle, like, a relationship issue. Okay. Um, what's the uh, exact issue? Um, well, I'm kind of like in a situation where the guy comes forward and sticks his toe in the water and then he runs away. And so I've seen this pattern with him three or four times in the last couple of months of dating him, and I've known him for a very long time, and we took it to a dating situation. And so, you know, I end up running after him, like, what's wrong and what are you doing? And so what I've done in the last three days is just pull back. Like, I quit trying to communicate with him. I quit trying to chase him. I quit trying to run after him or try to figure it all out, but now I'm sitting in this zone right now saying, okay, here I am. I pulled back everything. Is he going to come forward, or what should I do now? Well, um, 
rule number one comes to mind, make a pack. And <clears throat> basically uh, the rule is uh, no one's going to build the life you, you want for you and stuff like that. So, um, and Tara, you can interrupt me anytime, or Tara, sorry, you can interrupt me anytime. Um, I would, this is just my advice, I'm no relationship expert, but um, I would say let let him go for a while and, and just mm-hmm. focus more on yourself. And, right, and, that's what and, I've been doing. Yeah, c- continue doing that. So when he does come back, I feel like during that time where, where you're making the pact with yourself, you mm-hmm. will you will develop a bit of a criteria and other thing that you will and will not accept. So when he comes back, you're just saying, look, my life is, this is my, my company, and you can either come along with the guidelines or there's no room for you here. Right, because, I mean, I think the reason he keeps running away is because he's afraid of being hurt in a relationship. I think that's what the deal is here. Mm-hmm. If I were you, I would, without having to worry about what his, you know, figuring out what his motives are or what's up with him that causes him to do that, that's really his stuff to work out. And what okay. your stuff to work out is what do you want? in a dating relationship. And it sounds like you don't want somebody who drops out of the picture every now and then, right? Right, 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 right. So so without making him wrong, because he's allowed to do whatever he wants, and without even having to analyze why he's doing it, you can ask him for what you want. You can say, hey, you know, what I'd really, what I'd like what I want in a relationship is this kind of consistency. Um, you know, I, I, I want to hear from you when, you know, it's been this long or whatever it is that you want, you can figure out what that is. And then mm-hmm. he's totally free to say, yep, I, oh, yep, now that I know you want that, I can start doing that. Or he might say, gosh, I can't do that. Or he might not even say that. He might just not do it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then you know you've got a choice. Is that the person you want to be with or not? Right, and like I said, right now we're at the the stage where, you know, we were going out on dates and this and that and things were okay, and then I think he got afraid, and then, you know, last weekend I'm like, hey, do you want to hang out or go to the movie? And his response, I don't know. So he's in the I don't know stage. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so I think I, it goes back to what do you, what do you want and need? requesting that, and then he's free to say yes or no, and then you get to decide what you want to do with that yes or no. Awesome. Right. Well, like I said, he's not okay. really giving me yes or no. He's giving me a I don't know. So, again, right. that's kind of like me. Then you, then, you, then you get to decide what you want to do in light of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and what I've done is I just pulled away. I'm like, you know what? You don't know what you're doing. Fine. Just stay over in that corner, and I, I got things to do with my own life. You know what I mean? I mean, and I didn't fine. tell yeah. him that, but that's what I'm saying in my own head. I'm like, look, this dude does not know what he wants to do, but I have my agenda, and I got I to gotta get in my car and just keep going and not yeah, worry so about that, what he's doing over there so in the that, corner. Yeah, so that sounds what, – what that if I can feel the hurt and anger – so that's not mm-hmm. really going to work as a strategy. That's not really going to work for either of you, no matter how he comes back. Now this, that's always going to be an issue in the relationship. So that's being like, 
fine, whatever. I'm going to go, I'm too busy to care. You know, like that. that is different than actually truly choosing. Okay, in light of his I don't know, do you want to stick around? And if you want to stick around, you should do that with an open heart. Or, no, that's not really going to work for you. Okay, later. But, Tia, I'm guessing we're going to move on to other questions. Right. So uh, thank you, and hopefully that works out for you. So, yeah, we're down to the last minute. Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, those rules are amazing, and you're awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It was a pleasure to be here. Oh, no problem. And again, and I'm glad I didn't talk too much. <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. And again, <laughs> her website is T-A-R-A-M-O-H-R.com. Check it out. Go Download the 10 Rules for Brilliant Women workbook. Lots of cool stuff in there. Um, thank you again. Um, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. And I'll, no. I'll also let people know um, I teach a women's leadership program called Playing Big. It's a six-month mm-hmm. online distance learning program for women who want to learn to play bigger in their lives and their work. So if you have an inkling that you're playing small, and you want to stop doing that, um, you can check that out on my website, too. And the next session will be starting um, in in early 2013. Awesome. And I did uh, put my my bid in there, my email. Oh, good, 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 (laughs) yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you for the listeners, the people in the chat room, callers. Thank you so much. Everyone have a wonderful, holistic weekend. Bye. Yeah, thanks, everybody. You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses. And you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA.